Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and we've got a little continuation of Guy Talk because we do that every once in a while because it's nice to go a little bit longer than usual. So the power panel is here. Jeff Verdorn, Pastor Tom Parrish, special guest, still in the wings. Uh, so that's going to be what we're going to do the next 30 minutes. Let me know what questions you have for us, 877 Eight, four. All right. First question, I think, appeared on Jeopardy. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right. Here's the, the question. And make sure you answer in the form of a question. Otherwise, you guys will be disqualified. Okay? Okay. Because we're I, playing I think Jeopardy. I got it. I've right. never played Jeopardy before, but I, I think I got this. Yeah. All right. Okay. Paul's letter to them is the New Testament epistle with the most Old Testament quotations. What is Hebrews? Ding, ding, ding. That's right. Yeah. Good job. So I, uh, it's a very interesting question of who wrote Hebrews, and, mm-hmm. and I actually have this is one that I have looked at and and have some n- notes on, but every letter that Paul writes ends pretty much the same way. He says grace to you or grace and peace to you. Guess how Hebrews ends? Grace to you. Sure. And the other writers don't do that. There's also many passages in Hebrews that I think just sound like Paul. It's just this this seems to be Paul. And I think one of the most important uh, clues is that actually in Peter, in Second Peter 3.15, uh, Peter mentions that Paul also wrote to you, meaning the other Jews. And so Paul wrote to the Jews. So if Hebrews was not written by by Paul, we have a missing letter by Paul to the Jewish people. So I have believe and and actually i've seen older bibles much older bibles like 100 years old or more that actually say the letter of paul or the epistle of paul to the hebrews so i actually think paul did write hebrews and i think hebrews probably has the most old testament references in it could well be um it's not a universal belief there are others who believe that apollos wrote it priscilla and aquila may have written it i've, I've heard all of those uh the more i read hebrews and the dialogue there the more it leans in my mind toward Paul because he's addressing issues of the new covenant and it fits. Matter of fact, I was doing my research. Hebrews contains the concept of the covenant repeated 20 times in the book of Hebrews, which means it's a frequent topic. You're and just starting to preach on this. You said I'm starting to do some yeah. teaching on this. Yep. All right. I've got enough uh, texts coming in that's saying, all right, Bill, bring on your special guest. <laughs> enough, Ooh. enough, enough suspense. We, we can't take it anymore. So, uh, Jeff Verdorn, would you please do uh, uh, the honors of um, introducing our in-studio guest? So, I had eye surgery a couple weeks ago, and I needed a ride up here. My eldest son, Jacob, was kind enough to drive me up to studio today and sit in. Um, Jacob is married to his wife, Cassie. He has my one grandson um, and another on the way, and oh, actually, wonderful. I'll be—he'll uh, be a father for a second time. A little girl coming up, due on Christmas Day. So, what a Christmas <laughs> we are going wow. to have! But uh, Jacob went to Colorado Christian University, 
um, went to Southwest Christian High School, uh, torchbearers out in Colorado, and um, loves the Lord. And I love him to death. So, Hello, everyone. I'm Jacob. <laughs> Good to have you I here. I tell you what, I have uh, sympathy for, I'm usually the one sitting on 494 right about now. Okay. Listening see. to the show. So whoever is sitting on 494 right now in traffic <laughs> heading east back towards uh, Eden Prairie Mall and whatnot. Nice. I hear you. I feel you right now. All right, right. <laughs> but today we're in the studio. Yeah. So, uh, Jacob, say what it was like growing up with Jeff as a dad and, and Julie as a mom. Hmm. Oh, boy. Wow. I've never heard him answer this question before. Well, I um, have been very thankful to, I think I've, I've definitely taken it for granted. Just um, a lot of these concepts have been ingrained over so the years. So you have picked something up over the years, right? Sometimes I don't always listen to the show because I hear it during the week. <laughs> <laughs> that makes I, sense. I get a little tired of it. But um, no, Dad is um, very thankful for the teaching. And I love, uh, I do love listening to the show. Well, I mean, thank with you. All, all your different guests you bring on. And thank you. It's always man. enlightening. Whenever you need a little cheer up, I'm always, you turn over the faith radio on my nice. car. And it's, it, it's amazing how the sermons are always impactful for whatever you're going through. So, so this, 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 this is a blessing. This ministry is a blessing to a lot of people. Mm. I know that. Well, you're seeing all the right things, just so you know. <laughs> you, got, you got something for me afterwards? Oh, yeah. yeah. You bet I do. You bet I do. Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, glad to have you here. And you, when we're in the green room talking, I mean, he is sm- smart as a whip when it comes to his, his Bible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the scripture says to bring up children and training and instruction of the Lord. I mean, that's one of the most important things parents can do. So uh, it's a hard job on your own. So we've partnered with a Christian school and a Christian university. And I think Colorado Christian was a solid biblical university. For and sure. Then, and then, but you also got trained quite a bit uh, in your gap year at Torchbearers too. You know, I cannot say enough about taking a gap year. For t- I mean, I had an amazing experience with Torchbearers. No, we, I went to... Um, Explain what that is. Yeah, so after after high school, um, my senior year of high school, I had a pretty pretty rough concussion and was going through that healing process and decided to take... I was actually going to go to Northwestern, but decided to take a, take a year off. Ended up, God through God's plans, um, got me out into this Bible school out in Winter Park and... Um, Spent a, you know eight months out there, like a school year, and it was a discipleship Bible school where we had t- a different teacher come in every week, teach us a book of the Bible or topic. And that time, even though I had some amazing understanding and teachings from, from Dad and from Christian school and whatnot, that year was one of the most imp- – I grew the most that year. Because wow. we were – you had some of the best teachers coming to you. You would dig into it, you know, 20 hours a week of just studying the Bible – and then all the other ministry opportunities around that. And I would tell every young person, to, to if you get the opportunity to do something like that, um, very just taught me so much. I, I keep going back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And congratulations on your, um, your, your baby coming. Christmas is coming fast. That is wow. exciting. How old are you, Jacob? 27. 27. Awesome. And is that your real hair? Because <laughs> if it's not, I want that guy's card. Right. <laughs> That is spectacular hair. Do we need to sing Growing Bald? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's a great question. Uh, Would the panel be able to suggest a few verses that might be of comfort to share with an individual facing a terminal illness or some words of comfort that would be helpful and appropriate? 
Yes, there, there are a ton of verses out there. Um, I, I, I keep turning back to John 14, 1 through 6, over and over, especially with the dying or people that are terminal, and that Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come to take you to be with me. And uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's a that's a big one, and I I like to use that, and I quote that. Psalm twenty three is another one because when you know you have a terminal illness, you know you're facing something you you've never faced before, and yet here you have the psalmist David saying, "Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me." And we need to hear that over and over and over again. Uh, John eleven, I am the resurrection and the life. You know. Uh, John five twenty four. you know, he who believes in me, though we were dead, yet shall they live. So I use those passages a lot. And um, if I remember right, uh, I think I've got about 25 of those actually printed out. And I like mm-hmm. a little poster that I've developed. And Jeff, you probably have too, uh, that we're always happy to give people. You know, you said the the one that I was thinking of just immediately and that is the Jesus when Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life remember you know uh, the, Martha was all upset that her brother had died physically died and she says to the Lord Jesus oh if you only would have been here he wouldn't have died and and they start talking about the resurrection do you believe in this resurrection yes I believe in the resurrection and Jesus says I am the yeah. resurrection and the life yeah. he who believes in me will live even though they die. I've been to believers' funerals, and I've been to unbelievers' funerals, and the two things are completely different, because if you believe in Christ, then physical death is not the end. Exactly. All right, let's go back uh, to the verse in Jeremiah, because a listener uh, chimed in with a response, which is very interesting, um, about the woman turning into a man. My take on that is that because of disobedience to God, all the men are taken into slavery or killed by their enemy. The women would have to stand up and do the work that the men would have done because there's no men left. Hmm. I I don't. I have to go back. I know we, you we know, will study that one. Yeah, I have to go back and look at this a little bit more. So I know that you know the the remnant of Israel that is uh, had been taken captives. Um, you know, in in this process jeremiah is big on this remnant coming back so it's to israel and and this passage on especially on the women i've just never looked at in detail yeah. so well that's interesting we'll look at it some other time thank well, you and as we were talking about it during the break it was pretty clear that that passage has not been translated there's so many different ver- we looked at a bunch of different versions and mm-hmm. it's not particularly clear what they're trying to get across in that mm-hmm. passage okay Let's move on to another question. Um, what does a person do when the pastor will only allow a group to study what the pastor picks? I'm looking at you, Tom Parrish. Well, I don't know why a pastor would do that. One of the things I've always tried to do is is I always go into a year with things that I want to teach I think are relevant, but I also try to listen to the congregation and let them tell me what their needs are and I, I think it should be kind of a 50-50 mix because you are there not only to uh, expound on the scriptures as you feel led by the Lord, but let the Lord speak to you and the group as to what they're facing. Uh, because people face things in their, their married life and in their daily life. Maybe I don't face. Maybe I don't understand. And so I think it uh, should be an open dialogue. And if the pastor refuses to have a dialogue on that, um, we've got a bigger issue going on here. 
than just the the Bible study. I agree. I'm going to take a little different tact. If you're, I mean, the pastor, it's his pulpit, right? I mean, he gets to teach and, and talk about what's on his heart and what he feels he wants to teach on. I tell people, if you're, if all of your food, the word of God is coming on Sunday morning, you're not getting enough nourishment, right? The The amount of feeding that you get on Sunday morning as, as, uh, as a percentage of what you're feeding on the word of God during the week should be a very small percentage. You should be in the word. So I don't understand the, the idea of the pastor allowing you to only read or teach some things, you go out and learn it on your own. Go read yeah. the Bible, do studies, you know, and study it on your own. And the amount of that you that you get from Sunday should be a small portion of your diet. The rest of your diet of the Word of God should be the rest of the week on your own. All right, we'll take a break. we come back more Guy Talk. Let me know what questions you have for the Power Panel, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. How do we do it here at Faith Radio? Uh, Well, we don't, not without you and not without the Lord, but we are so grateful for your giving. And if you want to make a year-end gift, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. I always got to wait. I always got to wait for the horns. It sounds good. That's it. You guys aren't going to say anything. Sure. Wait for the horn. Can't wait. Can't wait for the horn. <laughs> it, I do. I do like the horn, and I like that bumper bumper music. I like that song. Yeah. You've okay. done that. Used that a couple times. I like it. Yeah. yeah. All right. You uh, have questions? Let me know what they are. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I believe that many. Author scholars are using current events to interpret revelations instead of allowing the text to inform the first century readers. Thoughts on that? Oh, this this question is, is that's my heart. Oh, nice. So being an end times kind of prophecy guy, um, been doing this for over 25 years, maybe even 30 years. The first revelation class I took, in fact, Jacob was just a little kid, a little baby. And... Um, it's it's hard to study prophecy with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Yeah. And I believe in an event called uh, the rapture, and I think that's the next event on God's prophetic clock, and it's a signless event. Uh, but regardless of your understanding of the end times and what sequence of events will unfold in the end times, um, it, it's you, <laughs> people look at the world today. And think, oh, we got to be close. Everything is so messed up. And I don't disagree with that. But I would just like to point out, if you lived during World War II and you saw 60 million people die and the world was at war, nation rising up against nation all around the world, and you saw 6 million Jews killed in a Holocaust and, and, and rationed everything from food to fuel to everything else, you just might think this is the end. Jesus is going to come 
pretty soon. And I think God has written prophecy in such a way that every generation since the cross could honestly believe that that was the generation that Jesus was going to return. Agreed. And the danger is always this. The danger is me reading into the scriptures rather than letting the scriptures, you know, spell out to me what it's saying. And that takes discipline. And and I think the problem is many of us want answers now. Lord, what's going on? Why is the world this way? You know, when are you going to return? And I'm all, believe me, I ask those same questions. But the bottom line is when you go into scripture, you let the scripture speak and let it bring its comfort and its direction. And when the Lord wants to return, he's going to return. Last Sunday at church, I uh, I asked everybody there, I said, by the way, you know, many of you here are, are my age or older. How many of you are going to see the Lord within the next 20 years? And they thought for a second, and then they started raising their hand. Because whether it is the second coming or they die, and I said, look, if you die, guess what? You're going to be there for the second coming. You, the Lord will bring you along. So the bottom line is that it's in our future, but we don't know exactly when. You, I mean, that's absolutely right. The key is, is that are you living with the end in mind? Right. Because one way or another, there's a modern day hymn called In Christ Alone. And it ends with, um, I'm looking till he can, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. And that's in death, right? Or calls me home here in the power of Christ. I stand. Yep. Yep. All right, here's a verse, Second Peter 3.12, if you'd look that up real quick. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. And the question is, let's see, uh, is this in heaven a fire that will melt the bodies? This is confusing to me. I think I'm sorry. I think Second Peter three is a great picture. It create it starts with creation. Um, you know, there's this idea of where is this coming that they've talked about, and 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 Peter basically says, "Hey, uh, it's coming. Don't worry, it's coming." And I think what he says is that out of the earth was formed out of water, so we're back in Genesis. By these same water, these earth was deluged and destroyed. That's the flood of Noah. And he says this present earth is reserved for fire. And destruction so hot, it says that even the elements will melt. I link this up directly with this idea of a new heaven and new earth that is described in Revelation. When the old earth and the old nature of things pass away, and God, Revelation says, will make all things new. I think that's the new earth. So the earth was formed out of water. I think it's going to be reformed out of fire, cleansed, made new. This is the new heaven and new earth. Heaven and earth are apart today. That order of things is going to pass away, and in eternity, heaven and earth are coming together, and I think that's the picture of the new heaven and new earth, and Peter is seeing part of that picture right there. You touched on it earlier, Jeff. You look at Second Peter 3, 11, 12, 13, and it is talking about a new heaven and new earth and the fire and all that will consume it, but um, look at verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? Hmm. That's the real issue. The issue is the end is coming, whether we understand how it all works out or not, or how the earth changes or whatever happens. The issue is, are you ready for it? And being ready for it means being the disciple of Jesus now, proclaiming his name, being covered by a shed of blood, and then whatever comes, we're going to be rescued from it. We don't have to worry about that. We're going to be with the Lord. And if we get a new heaven, a new earth, I'm all for it. Mm. The, our understanding of the end 
is a purify, has a purifying effect. And there's many passages that says we pure ourselves with our hope or what kind of lives ought we live. If the world is going to be burned up, then where should we be storing our treasures? Yep, exactly. Yep. All right. Three more questions. Let's move quickly. Uh, regarding your chosen discussion, we watched the first couple episodes and I was turned off by the characters, especially the spouses, interacting and joking with each other like modern-day Americans, including wives openly correcting their husbands. Is there a decent, correct portrayal of biblical characters out there? Um, well, there there has been. Uh, you know, the Jesus film mm-hmm. has been seen probably by more people than any other movie on the planet. Yep. It's been translated into... 200 languages or more, I don't know. You can get it on your, an app on your phone, um, and there's no dialogue, I, I, I believe. So correct me if I'm wrong because you're nodding at me, Tom, but I don't think there's any dialogue in that movie that's not in Scripture. Nice. I agree with you. As a matter of fact, you can get one of these QR codes. They have them now, and you can use your phone. Uh, we live in a community that has a heavy Muslim neighborhood. So we have Muslim brothers and, you know, neighbors that are close by. We, we're putting a big thing on our door as you come in. It'll be covered in that so that they can walk up anytime, day or night and take a click of that. And in their own language, their own language, they can see the Jesus film. It is the most widely watched film in human history. Mm-hmm. All right. If you have That's a, a idea. if you have yeah. a mental health illness like schizophrenia, are you accountable to mm-hmm. believing in God or not? Oh, t- this is one of these tough questions. Do you, are you saved by faith? Yes. Do you have to believe in Christ to be saved? Yes. But if you don't have an opportunity or the mental capacity, such as children, I mean, this is this is the question of children, really, and and whether or not, you know, even if you grow chronologically but don't have the mental capacity to be saved, are are will God save you or not? Look, I wish Scripture had a lot more information and was more clear on this. I believe that children or the mentally incapable will be saved. Yeah. Um, and really the one story that I, that I latch onto is David when his child with Bathsheba died and he stops mourning and, and people come to him and say, why did you stop mourning? And he says, well, he's, he's died now. There's nothing more I can do. And besides, I'll see him again. Yep. And so I do think children will be saved. Yeah, and I, I don't think schizophrenia or any of the mental illnesses are the real issue because then we have to start talking about anybody has any brain damage. We have to talk about children that, uh, you know, have chromosome problems and whatever else. The faith issue goes way beyond the diseases that we face or whatever else. And I've learned that Jesus can speak even to the child or the adult that has the most mental problems you've ever seen and still communicate to them. So there's great hope even for them. All right, gentlemen, thank you for an extended version. You know, we did more time today, and we've run out of time, and there's still more questions. So that's a good Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jeff Verdorn. Thank you, Jacob Verdorn, for being here. It's a delight to have you in the studio. And Pastor Tom Parrish, thank you as well. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, I'm going to have Brad Griffin as my guest. He's written a book uh, called Three Big Questions That Shape Your Future. Like, uh, who am I? Where do I fit and what difference can I make? That's all coming up next. We'll be right back.
are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. What are some big questions that you are facing in your life, or maybe you've already faced them in your life because you did that when you were younger? Questions like, who am I and where do I fit? And what difference can I make? Uh, maybe you are um, helping some younger person uh, right now that has those questions. Well, I've got a great uh, guest and a great book for you to consider. Uh, we're going to discuss this with Brad Griffin. He's co-written a book called Three Big Questions That Shape Your Future. And uh, Brad is uh, the Senior Director of Content for the Fuller Youth Institute, where he develops research-based training for youth workers and parents Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Yeah, and you wrote this with Kara and Crystal, so a couple of uh, colleagues and friends. How did that go? Yeah, fantastic. Oh, good. Um, Kara is my colleague here at the Fuller Youth Institute, and Christelle works on staff at a church and just brought some fantastic insight from uh, from her own work with young people. Yeah, well, the book really raises some fantastic questions questions that I think we can all be asking uh, each other and asking young, the younger generation questions like, um, uh, what do you do when being labeled holds you back? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) What I love about this process. So, I I mean, our bias is every teenager is a walking bundle of questions (laughs) and, you know, sometimes we hear those questions, sometimes we don't. We spent a lot of time just listening to teenagers, and that's where some of these questions emerged, like what happens when I'm labeled? What happens when I feel like a misfit? You know, when I'm struggling with perfection, uh, being a perfectionist. And th- these questions really generated from young people themselves. And we thought, you know... I- one young person also said, I wish adults would stop giving me answers to questions I'm not asking. And so we thought, you know, let's really try to put something in their hands that helps them. And that can help an adult walk with a teenager with the questions they're actually wrestling with. Mm-hmm. Brad, is that a time in life when the drama level is higher than usual? <laughs> Well, anybody who's lived with teenagers would be probably nodding along, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and any of us who've been a teenager. And, you know, the truth is we've all been teenagers, but we've never been their age in the sense that being a teenager today, it, it's both the same and it's pretty different. You know, none of us grew up with social media and digital technology. None of us grew up in a world where, um, it, you know, a, a pandemic shaped a couple of years of our life. None mm-hmm. of us grew up in the world that they're growing up in. And so it's both it's both the same and, and pretty unique. And we feel that drama as, as parents and, you know, caregivers, people who, who live with and serve and are, are around teenagers, but we don't always know really what to do about it. So, Brad, when you are talking to teenagers and they have – a failure in their life, or they have a success. I mean, you're going to want to let them know that you're you're more than your failure, and you're more than your success because you're a child of God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So much of what I think 
teenagers need from us is to help them normalize experiences in their life. And, and you know, both success and failure are normal experiences. They're, they're part of life. But when you, when you see it through a, a, the lens of an adolescent, they, um, everything's magnified. And so what for us might even be a normal small failure could be catastrophic for, you know, a 15-year-old. And what they really need from us as adults in their life is a consistent presence who can sort of um, both normalize but also be like a non-anxious presence in the midst of those feelings of failure or success in the midst of those big highs and lows. And they also need to know that God is walking with them through those, that they are loved no matter what, that they were already loved before they succeeded or failed. And that that is not the measure that God uses or that we, you know, we who love them, we don't use that measure to determine our love. That's already been decided. Mm -hmm. And so that can actually lower the pressure that young people feel and, and actually help them be resilient, you know, through those ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Three big questions that shape your future is the name of Brad Griffin's book that he co-wrote with Kara Powell and Crystal Avacito. Am I saying that right? Uh, Acevedo. Acevedo. Okay. Yep. And he was nice enough to make three copies of the book available. So I've got three to give away. If you want to uh, get in on the drawing for one of these three copies, just text the word book. Just those four letters, uh, no exclamation marks, no emojis, nothing. Just B-O-O-K to 877-933-2484. Brad, what are some of the areas in a teen's life that affect their sense of identity the most? Yeah, you know, our, our first understanding of ourselves, it comes from our family, comes from whoever's raising us. So teens really carry that with them while also calling a lot of that into question during adolescence. And if you've lived with a teenager, you know, you probably feel that. You, it, we, we really can't be surprised when teenagers push back on the way that we have maybe shaped their identity um, or even how they reject those things. It's, it's really normal to want space from your family and to press against those boundaries and those norms during that season. Um, at the same time, we can really support them by not getting too anxious about those pushbacks mm-hmm. and by asking really good questions and just keeping in mind, like, that rejection is usually temporary. A lot of ways, like, if we play the long game and, and our kids know that we're going to be here for them no matter what, um, then they're going to eventually, in many cases, you know, come back closer to not only us, but also sort of who we are and who, um, you know, those values that our family does hold. They need us to remind them over and over about deeper truths. You're enough. You're a child of God. You're worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And that can help them overcome some of that labeling and, you know, this, the anxiety about their identity. Mm-hmm. Brad Griffin is my guest, and Brad, there is it's certainly true that teenagers are going to feel some level of tension about who their parents want them to be, who their coaches want them to be, and their teachers, and maybe even their friends. But how can adults be better at pointing teens toward who God wants them to be? I mean, without mm-hmm. adding any more pressure. Yeah. 
we end up adding so much pressure to young people. And okay, here's the thing. So Bill, when I was in middle school, I got into um, drama and theater and that was a really important outlet for me to discover that I could use my voice in a particular way. And, you know, I, I could try on being different, different people, different personalities. And that was really, that was really cool. It actually was amazing for me, but the downside of that is that a lot of teenagers live their life as if they're always on a stage. They feel like they're performing and they're performing for those different audiences that have different sets of expectations and just creates a lot of pressure. So we encourage, and in the book, we encourage young people to face this head on. It's not just exhausting to try to be everyone's version of you. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't expect that of us. God doesn't expect us to be perfect or to live up to all those demands, but to be ourselves and to be our offstage selves. Um, now, what we can do as adults is is to reinforce that. We, we can get better by really knowing and seeing young people for who they are. It's been said that being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're the same. And really hearing and seeing a teenager can can help lower that pressure that hey we want I want to know the offstage you not just the the one you present the you you present on social media or that you're trying to perform for me but the offstage you mm, I like that a lot uh, Brad Griffin is my guest his book is three big questions that shape your future if you would like to get in on the drawing for that text the word book to 877-933-2484 Brad, I think something that's been around forever, especially during those teenager years, is the comparison game. I'm afraid now with social media that has been ratcheted up like a trillion percentage. At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's right. You know, it's so interesting. We spent over 100 hours in interviews with teenagers, and the only extracurricular or hobby that was shared by everybody we interviewed was social media, right? Oh boy. They feel this pressure to work on their personal brand. They're expected <laughs> to even like advertise themselves. And, and to be a teenager today is to feel like every moment is a broadcast opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that creates so much comparison, right? Which is just, it's the wrong, it's the wrong way to measure our worth. Yeah. And, so what teenagers need to know from us and by our example, because a lot of times adults are kind of modeling this, but by our example, they need to know that they're not supposed to be like somebody else or have somebody else's gifts or talents or be from somebody else's family or culture. They were made by God to be uniquely who they are and bring their gifts to the world. And that can bring a certain kind of freedom to a young person where you know, even social media, well, it can be a place to celebrate their gifts and live their uniqueness and not just a, a pit of comparison. Um, that said, you know, for a lot of teenagers and, and mine included, my, my own, like sometimes social media is a place that they just need a break. You know, it's just it's just an unhealthy place for them and they need to opt out altogether for a while. Yeah, that's, I have a, a daughter who will routinely just delete social media for a week and, and just sort of take a break from it at her own, you know, 
she wants to take that break because she realizes it becomes too important to her and she needs to remind herself who she is. Mm-hmm. So Brad, what happens when the teenagers aren't talking and they're and how was school today? Fine. And that's it. How do you get to that next level where you can find ways to have more meaningful conversation and have the teenagers open up, whether it's to mm-hmm. parents or grandparents? Yeah, a lot of us have felt that sort of conversational dead end with kids. And, you know, we've heard from parents who say, yeah, I get I get one word answers. And let me first say, if you're the parent of a 14, 15 year old boy, that is probably developmentally normal. And, <laughs> you know, there may not be anything wrong with your kid or with you, first off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, secondly, We've got to be attuned to where our kids actually are um, and when they open up. And this is a tricky one. You know, we're entering a phase of life where we want to go to bed earlier, and our teenagers, they want to stay up later. And often those windows of conversation for a teenager, they might be late at night, you know, and they might be – it might require us to stay up a little later to be on their terms. Um, Another idea is just to find something that that kid enjoys that you can enjoy together. Uh, You know, maybe it's watching movies um, and maybe watching a movie together will open up a little more conversation with that teenager. Um, It's often a a hard, slow road, you know, really (laughs) to, to get teenagers to talk who are kind of resistant to talking. And so much of the time we hear from parents that just hanging in there and reminding kids that they're, that they're available, you know, that they're present and that they want to talk. One last idea I'll throw in here. And this, you know, before this book, we, we wrote a book called three big questions that change every teenager. And we put in that book, that one was for adults. Um, We put over 300 questions in there to ask a teenager. And I got to tell you, I turn back to that myself because I use the same handful of questions over and over and over mm-hmm. with my own kids. And I need new questions. I just need to like change it up every now and then and yeah. ask a better question. Yeah. I had a guest on uh, about two weeks ago and we were talk- she was talking about our brain hates the question, how are you? <laughs> we, we like questions that it. we can be more, we can give more specific answers to. Yeah, and I tell you what, sometimes our kids feel like we're interrogating them yeah. and and we need to back off a little bit mm-hmm. and maybe answer our own question, you know? Like maybe we actually need to share a little bit about our own day. Our kid is not going to ask us how was your day, right. but we could but we could volunteer. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah. Let me take a break. Brad Griffin is my guest. He's written a book called Three Big Questions That Shape Your Future. We have three copies of the book to give out. So if you'd like to get in on the drawing to get one of those books, I'd be happy if you did it. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back.
Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Join us for our Reading the Bible Together Advent Study. Sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. You are with Brad Griffin today. He's written a book called Three Big Questions That Shape Your Future. And uh, Brad, in this section, where do I fit? If you would talk a little bit about authenticity and why is authenticity important for teens who are wrestling with that question, where do I fit? Hmm. You know, Bill, our research connected teenagers' sense of identity, that question, who am I, with their sense of belonging. Where do I fit? So here's how. To really feel like you belong, you need to feel safe enough to be who you are and trust that you're not going to be judged. So that showed up in um, our interviews. We heard teens say things like, I belong if I feel like I can be myself and not fake. Mm. So authenticity means being ourselves, right? And it means having the courage to be the same person in different places at different times. And I think that has something to do too with learning how to integrate faith and life, right? So if James says our faith and actions can't be separated, that kind of authenticity in our friendships, actually, it it lays the groundwork for belonging um, as well as an integrated faith. I appreciate that, Brad. Let's uh, let's talk about questions that teens can ask themselves when they're trying to figure out, you know, where their per- what their purpose is, where they fit in. Be nice to kind of give them encouraging questions to ask themselves for their own discovery. Yeah, yeah. You know, in in the book, we share a quote from Howard Thurman that I really love. And he said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that. Mm -hmm. Because what the world needs is people who've come alive. And part of why I love that is I think we can lower the pressure for teenagers to figure out their future when we help them ask questions actually about themselves. Like, well, what do I love? What do I get excited or passionate about? What are some of my gifts and talents? What gives me the most energy or joy? And those questions, and I, I got to say, as a teenager, it can be hard actually to answer that question without a little help. So sometimes we can even catch, um, you, you know, like like they say sometimes, catch a kid doing something good, mm-hmm. you know, like affirm your kids, not just point out what's wrong. Well, in the same way, we can catch them in a moment when they seem to be really excited about something. So, you know, hey, it seems like you really love doing that. So I, my son came home from play practice last night, and he was just so energized, you know, and I had the chance to sort of catch him in that moment, you know, and we can just affirm like, hey, it sounds like you're really loving being in this play. Um, and, And that can help them sort of connect the dots between what's energizing or what's maybe natural or, um, you know, what they're wired for mm. and and what their future might be, because God wants us to flourish. 
you know, and, and that sense of being fully alive, I think, is about the kind of flourishing that God wants yeah, but what, for each of us. But Brad, what if they say what I really love doing is 20 hours of video games on the weekends? <laughs> right, right. I mean, seriously, so, then what do you say? Because that's not the direction you want them to go. Right, absolutely. So this is where, of course, we're, in, we're still in a role of guiding as parents, right? Oh, yeah. And we're still in a role of setting boundaries and what's healthy. And I think for that, we could say, you know, yeah, I, you, you love video games and there's something there that you're good at. And there are ways that we can channel that into some positive, um, you, you know, some positive ways to spend your time. I think we don't need to demonize video games, but to also say, hey, for you to be healthy in this stage of your life, um, 20 hours of video game all weekend, that's, that's not healthy. You know, that's not actually what helps you flourish. But let's look at ways we can extend that into um, some other some some other positive ways, um, while also again, like to say, hey, what do you think is actually a good amount of time um, to to play video games? I, I got to say, as a parent, you know, this is a tricky one, and especially um, parents with boys who like to game, and. W- you know, I think that looks different at different ages, for sure. At the younger ages, we can set really, really, you know, clear and distinct boundaries. And I think as they get older, too, it's important for us to realize how much gaming is often social connection. And when it is social connection, we can tap into that and also provide some other ways and help boys especially learn other ways to be connected with their friends but like, honestly, sometimes we just need to, to offer to pick up their friends so they can hang out together. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we may need to create some of the space and context for kids to learn how to hang out in person in, in a way that, that even might be harder now, given, you know, some of the restrictions of the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Brad, how do we encourage kids to put their faith into action? Mm. You know, one of the biggest ways is we can model it. Ah. <laughs> when they see adults who are putting faith into action, it, it gives them so many ideas. And and honestly, you know, modeling is one of the best ways. Of course, as parents, we can't be the be-all, end-all model. So I think being active in a faith community, being active in a church, can put them around adults who can stir their imagination. Um, I have a, a an older daughter who's in college and there was a woman in our church who works in a field that she's interested in, and that kind of sparked her interest in exploring what she's now majoring in in college. And she had a real-life example and could meet with this person and talk with her about how her faith shapes the work that she does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think the more adults who are in our kids' lives, um, the more they have some models and examples of of faith in action. And, and then, you know, a lot of it is about experimenting, um, giving them opportunities to experiment, experiment with serving, experiment with trying out um, different ways that, that it makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe in families serving together. And there's a, a, actually a lot of research behind the power of families serving together to, to activate kids' faith and their sense of purpose. Yeah, just about a minute left, Brad. So my, my mm-hmm. last question is when your son or daughter starts to feel like 
they're an outsider and you start to see them pull away or isolate or feel like they're a little depressed, uh, how do we bring comfort and encouragement and hope to them in that in that dramatic time in their life? Mm-hmm. You know, feeling outside is such a common experience. It is. For teenagers. And even this question, Bill, brings up for me my own feelings of being an outsider as a teenager. And, you know, we can encourage our kids that no one belongs everywhere, right? Um, and at the same time, Jesus understands what it's like to be on the outside. Jesus grew up normal in some ways, but strange in others. He spent a lot of times on the mar- a time on the margins. He was rejected. And, and I think there's comfort for us that Jesus took on all the loneliness of outsiders so he could identify with us. Mm-hmm. And that because of Jesus, there are no outsiders. Amen to that. Brad, really nice to meet you. And thank you for your book and making three copies available for my listeners. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Yeah, it's been a delight meeting you and talking to you. Brad Griffin has been my guest. His book is called Three Big Questions That Shape Your Future. We have three copies to give out. If you would like to be in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484, and you will be in on the drawing. We will do it soon. So let me know uh, if you'd like to get in. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Thank you for spending time with me today. I have loved it. And I know the uh, guy from Guy Talk had a great time. I'm looking forward to spending more time with you tomorrow. Have a great night. I'll see you soon. Podcasts like mine are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith... Click the link in the show notes to give now.